Welcome back, everybody. As I said uh, in the last uh, Getting Caught Out podcast, I'm James Anderson. Alongside, as always, is Gabby Riggy. Uh, say hi, Gabby. Hello. How is everybody? Hi. So uh, we're doing uh, one podcast for each sport to kind of get caught up on what we've been missing and all the time that we have been out with all of our technical difficulties and uh, inability to be able to kind of match our schedules up so that we can record uh, around those technical difficulties. We did baseball. We did a midseason and all-star game review. Uh, uh, mid-se- like at the all-star break review for baseball and our first caught-up uh, uh, catch-up episode, now we're going to turn our attention to basketball and we're going to be focusing on the Celtics. So let's just get right into it. Uh, you ready to get talk some C's, Gabs? Yeah, absolutely. It feels a little bit weird in uh, August now, but I'm very excited <laughs> nonetheless. Yes. So, uh, hold on one second. Let me just turn that down a little bit. Sorry, we were peeking a little bit. Uh, so the last time that we recorded and we talked about the Celtics, uh, it was right in the middle of that Cleveland series, and we were talking about the Cleveland series. And uh, I believe it was game two. It was right after game two where the Celtics got their ass kicked for two straight games. And that seemed to be the way that the series was going. Then they all of a sudden steal a win in game three uh, with that buzzer beater by Avery Bradley uh, in Cleveland. And then they lost. They gave away a, le- a second half lead uh, in game four. And then they got the doors their doors blown off again at home in game five against Cleveland, which is just a kick to the gut pretty much uh i'm really impressed that you had that all down from memory i can barely would ha- remember what happened with the yankees last week so that was <laughs> impressive enough proud of you i i remember way too much random crap um <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, ultimately uh they won what was an exhilarating washington wizard series we were there for the game seven when kelly Olynyk went off and somehow had the game of his life and they won that series and they won they were the number one overall seed in the east but then they got their doors blown off in all of the games in the series, by the way, that took place on their home court in a league where home court advantage means more than any other league. So, what what do you think this says about where they are in terms of competing in the East? How far away are they? Considering how poorly Cleveland did against Golden State, it's going to be even farther uphill than people want to admit. Well, let's 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 treat that as a separate question. How far away are they? Uh, how far away are they from even getting into Cleveland in general? Uh, getting past Cleveland to get to the finals to face Golden State. Let, let's let's go one at a time. They got to get through but, one to get um, to the next. Uh, I still think they're pretty far away because I think, as we've seen with some games, if LeBron wants to win, he's going to win. And if he decides to go west to really challenge, again, we'll get to that. But uh, as long as he's there, that's going to be a problem for them. I think no matter what, he's going to be the defining factor. He's going to be the impetus for their success. And I think that – Regardless of how good you make yourself and how deep you make your team, LeBron is still going to be able to beat you. And I think you're, regardless of how good you make your team, until he's like 35 and he's way out of his prime, you're going to have a really, really tough time. If you beat him, I think it's going to be you eke it out in seven. I think it's going to be a real, you got to cut your teeth to get there. And then you still have to go on against a really great Western team. So I think he is such a defining factor that regardless of what you're going to try to do, you're closer. You're absolutely closer with what they've done in the offseason. The Celtics have made it more challenging, but I don't know if it's enough to Also be... with what potentially could be happening in Cleveland this offseason. Right. We'll, we'll get to all of that. Let's let's focus chronologically. So uh, with what occurred in the, in the series in the Eastern Conference Finals, 
clearly it was they needed to make moves, and then they needed to hope that Cleveland would kind of deteriorate and implode, which there were inklings of that starting to happen during the regular season. Right. But then they pulled it together in the playoffs, and they got to the to the uh, past the past the Celtics, blowing by everybody. By the way, to get uh, <laughs> blowing by them to get back into the conference uh, into the NBA Finals for the third straight year against the Golden State Warriors. But this was the first time. And it was the Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant going against Cleveland. I don't know why people were so geared up. Like, this is a big rubber match. No, and, absolutely And it was going to be like, this is finally <laughs> going to determine the best winner of them all. Well, it was an evenly matched series two years ago. And Kevin Love got hurt. And then Kyrie Irving missed a couple of games. And then played the rest of the series on a sprained ankle. And Golden State won in Game 7. Right. Cleveland went up and were down three games to one, and then Draymond Green gets suspended for uh, an accumulation of uh, technical fouls throughout the playoffs. And he gets suspended. It gives sparks, spark to Cleveland. They go on to win the next three games straight to win the series. So it's a close game between those two teams, as constituted, for two straight years. And then, oh, Golden State just went out and added the second-best player in the league. Right. It's always the joke that Golden State blew the 3-1 three, three, lead. Like, it's yeah. never that, oh, Cleveland came back. It's, oh, Golden State blew it. Yeah. So, it's like... And then they went out and they added the second best player in the league behind LeBron, LeBron James. Right. So, the fact that it was evenly matched before Kevin Durant came into the picture. So, to, for anyone to think that this was going to be an evenly matched series going into it, what it was ridiculous. Was naive or working for the NBA marketing department? <laughs> But I didn't expect it to be nearly as bad as it was. Oh, it, it was it, unwatchable. It was terrible. Like that Boston Celt- the the Celtics versus uh, Cleveland series. After the first game, you knew what was going to happen. You just thought maybe they steal one, but there's no way in hell they're going to win this series. They're probably going to be swept or they're going to lose in five. You knew that in the first quarter of the first game, right? And you knew that exact the felt the exact same way watching that first half of Cleveland versus Golden State. This series is ending within five games. It, like it might, it may, it might be in a sweep, but it might be five games, uh, in in general. And it, the NBA was going to do what they do with the refs and setting up the refs to try and steal a game to push it to six because of the way that their contract is set up, the they traditionally get long final series and then they have short playoff series in each round leading up to it because there's such a lack of parity in that league that it's top heavy so you get the two heavyweights there in the finals and it goes long so their contract is the longer that the final series goes the more money per game that like they're locked into like a six game contract uh with abc if it goes less than six games for each game they have to pay back money to abc right (laughs) it didn't go six games so they had to pay back the amount of money that they had bought for the airtime for a game six that never occurred to, uh, to ABC, which very rarely happens. Sorry, everybody. Which very rarely happens. Uh, and uh, <laughs> so... It's incredible how it went yeah. from appointment viewing to everybody saying they're going, we're going to sit and watch every game. It's going to be incredible to not even worth DVRing. Yeah. Well, the NBA tried. They put a bunch of refs that were in favor of whichever, uh, in favor of Cleveland for pretty much every game past game two to try and push it to six so that they wouldn't have to pay back ABC that money. But it was just such a lopsided mismatch in terms of talent that Golden State blew them out anyway. And they won in five. And they won in five. And it, they basically... <laughs> they, they, they were just heads and shoulders above everyone else, which makes you, you ask the question. So if, there's, if you think the Celtics needed to make a, 
a few moves and then also need Cleveland to kind of deteriorate and lose some of their pieces for them to get past Cleveland, how far do they need to go to get past Golden State once they get to that point? Yeah, I think with where the Celtics are now, if they, you know, uh, Cleveland decide, I think at this point with the moves that were made, it would it's gone from the Celtics being an AAU team against the Warriors to being a D1 team. We'll make that jump from them being really good high school age kids to good 19 to 21 year olds. Yeah. That's, you know, as big of a jump as that might be, that's still minuscule these are men they're playing you know I would even I wouldn't even say an Olympic caliber because the Olympic team is half of those guys giving half of their best it's just they still have a long way to go they and that's a really long hill to climb but I feel like it's and not that's as ignoring too if San Antonio there's still other really good teams out in the west yeah, it's not I even don't, like it's I, one yeah I don't feel like it's as far off as we think it is though no I don't Be- because I, uh, Cleveland LeBron's on his final contract everyone's expecting him to go to LA it seemed uh, we, we're going to get talk a little bit more about it, but the whole Kyrie Irving situation about how he wants to get traded out of there. Um, Golden State just re-signed Kevin Durant for another one of those one and done deals, where it's like it's a technically a two-year deal, but he's got an opt-out after a year, one year. So like he did this year, he won, and then he signed another one of those contracts, uh, and then they re-signed Steph Curry. They need to re-sign pretty much all of their guys, and they just physically can't do it in terms of cap applications. And they already have uh, Kevin Durant and Steph Curry taking up both their max contracts. So, ultimate. <laughs> right, the tower is going to fall. The, the house yeah. of cards is going to fall a lot faster so than in, the, in any in other sport. In the next sport. couple of years, they're most likely going to, unless they decide to uh, ask Kevin Durant to opt out, but it seems like he's pretty much going to want to stay there now. Uh, which means that it's going to probably force Clay Thompson to move on somewhere else, Draymond Green to move on somewhere else for money, uh, for in terms of money purposes. Which means the rest of that bottom half, it's going to be Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, and then everyone else who's made them a championship caliber team moving on to go be superstars and max players elsewhere. So in the next couple of years, that's coming to a head. So we're going to be able to see how that affects them. So that might make them more human. They're still going to be nasty, and they're still going to be getting to the NBA Finals pretty regularly, but it's going to make them more human, and they still have to get to the juggernaut of the West, as you mentioned, San Antonio, with uh, Kawhi Leonard, uh, and now they have Chris Paul, and they also have uh, LaMarcus Aldridge, who's not been himself since he left from Portland to go to them uh, in San Antonio, but he's not been terrible. He hasn't been like a perennial all-star, but he's not been bad. But I think, too, the biggest thing is that the Celtics' plan, and I think Danny Ainge's plan from the get-go, was not to be great right now. I think his plan was in five years, and in five years, they can be there. In five yeah. years, you can see them taking the duck boats around the city. I don't think that's out of reach, but I think it's that was not. the plan the entire time. Yep. So, I mean, as much as you want to see them being successful and making Eastern Conference Finals, they've been ahead of schedule. Them being successful now is still not a complete implication because the plan was for them to be successful three to five. But I feel like ahead of schedule, I feel like a lot of people are misinterpreting this as ahead of schedule. I feel like this is right on schedule with what he wants. Because even though the plan is to be championship contenders, when all of these high draft picks are like three, four years in the league and they're the team leaders, I think he wants them to be playing in a playoff environment. And maybe these guys that they're signing now, they're making them get to the Eastern Conference Finals, all these veterans, they'll be older then, and they might have a little bit of a diminished role, but they'll still be under contract. I think that's his plan, is to have Isaiah, Horford, Hayward, now that they've signed Hayward. We're going to get into that in a second. Oh, no, I think the playoff environment was absolutely the plan. I think the Eastern Conference Final was kind of a lucky accident. 
for sure. The, yeah, that one was a little bit of a That's what I'm, yeah, I, I, I think I think he was thinking we would get to the into series like they did with the Wizards this year, but then be losing in the Game 7 instead of winning in the Game 7. And honestly, it, that was a really closely fought series, so he he's it could have gone either way. It was just they had the home court. Right, I think it was the round or two is what they were expecting. It was sort of like when the Rangers were building up to their cup final. I know basketball, not hockey, but when it's the idea of you're going to have those few years where it's a first-round playoff exit, a first-round playoff exit, oh, you make it to the second round, okay, second-round playoff exit. It's more of the getting the experience, being on that bigger stage, being in the primetime spotlight, yeah. getting those ABC, seeing yourself there. I agree, but like I said, I think they're still – heads and shoulders where they want to be, but they're still so heavy out on the West that even if they make it there, I think the travel is going to be hard. I know you really can't use travel as an excuse excuse in pro sports, but traveling back and forth from Boston to California is going to take a toll for sure. Yeah. So with the Golden State absolutely blowing out, blowing them out. And we mentioned that the league had to pay back money because they didn't get to get to six games in the, in the series. They only got to the five. Uh, that poses the question, is the league now going to view super teams as a negative? Because to this point, like the, the NBA's entire existence pretty much since Bird and Magic has been push the stars. Push the star players. This is a very small team sport in terms of there's few players on a roster. So the, num- the impact pl- uh, each player has on the, on the roster and the production and wins is higher than in other sports. And so you got to push those stars because those stars is what makes you win. And the stars in that league have always won because it's just the nature of the sport. But And there have always been super teams because players will flock to the teams that have the best chance of winning, which is the team with the stars. And that's always been the case. But I don't think that we've ever seen it, uh, NBA finals that have been as lopsided as this when it was set up to be like the two heavyweight uh, teams. So are super teams, as constituted now in the modern era, a negative? And here's and I just really quickly want to point something out that I feel like is being completely uh, under talked about in terms of that uh, conversation, big picture conversation. People's reaction is to say, "Oh, well, there's always been super teams." If you look back in NBA history, there's always been super teams. The problem is, is that it's the lead up to the finals is is diminished and it sucks. Oh, it's because there's too many rounds in the playoffs. It's not because there's too many rounds. There's too many teams. So there's not there's not enough of a const of a concentration of talent. It's too spread out, and then you just have two team. You have two teams that are pa- stacked like they were in the '80s and the '90s, and then all the other teams have one of those superstars. Where it used to be, the Sixers had uh, a couple of superstars. Uh, where they had uh, uh, where they had Charles Barkley and they had uh, Irving, and then you had uh, Pippen and Jordan, but they were losing to teams like the Bad Boys Pistons, and they were losing to the teams like the Lakers, uh, with the. Uh, Magic Johnson. So it was like, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? They were losing to teams like the Celtics as well. Right. So, you were losing, but the depth of talent was still yeah, there. the depth of talent on each team was so incredibly deep, especially for all the playoff teams. And the reason why is because in the 80s, the NBA only had 23 teams from 1980 to 1988. <laughs> so when you go from 23 teams to now 30, and you're wondering, and you say, well, the suit the super teams have always been there, but the super teams now are just much more dominant. There's a le- there's a lack of uh, parity and consistency. The reason why is because each team only has two max player contract spots, and there's 30 teams, and so they're, the cap numbers keep going up, and they're required to reach a certain money for cap floor. So giving ridiculous contracts and max contracts to guys who aren't worth it 
because they have to give it to somebody, and then it locks them into bad deals for a long period of time, which means that they can't build. And you can only drain colleges for so long. So many guys are only going to be willing to go. Yeah, you know? and then you're just going to get a high concentration of power uh, of a of a talent into like two teams because then you're going to have a bunch of people who are some players are looking just to get paid, others are looking to win. So the the ones who are looking to get paid are going to go get those max deals and don't care about whatever crappy record they have if they or if they just missed the playoffs. Uh, but to to answer your question and touch on it a little bit of is it bad or does he. Is it bad? Maybe. Does the NBA want to change it? No. Because it's more marketable. They want to expand. Right. It's more marketable to have a big regular season with all of your big stars to sell millions of dollars worth of merchandise and jerseys, plus your biggest advertisers. Now, not only in terms of people in in shoe markets and other apparel companies, but the companies who are paying to put their logos on your jerseys. Yeah, that's starting now. That's going to be a bigger influence. You make more money off of things like that than you are paying back during the playoffs. And you're still going to get the people who watch it and care more about the NBA than a lot of other sports. You see, I don't think that they view it as a a problem. And as I just mentioned, that they're looking to expand to 32 teams because they view themselves as a legitimate rival to the NFL now. Especially with all the concussion and CTE problems in football, they see the future of football dwindling. Uh, and that they're up there right now in ratings is like the second national sport. Right. They're getting treated like the NFL in the offseason. But I'm just saying that if fans find it to be more of a problem, it's not going to change anytime soon. It's yeah. it's only going to get worse. Now, here's my my big Hail Mary hope. Even Regardless of whether they expand to 32 teams or not, even if they stay at 30, but especially if they expand to 32, cut it back to one max contract per team. That could work. Yeah, because then it's forcing you to be more selective. And then that way you can still market your stars. And the, the stars are going to be spread out even more than now. Like, like the problem is is that now they're spread out, but they're spread out to like like maybe five teams in each conference. Really, it's like five teams in the West and then two in the East. You know what I mean? Right. The, the problem is that they need to spread it from seven teams out to those 30. Limit the number of max contract guys per team to one plus a bird rights guy you can keep that role if you want so basically one guy who you drafted developed who you can sign to a max deal because they're within your franchise and then one that you can go out and sign to a max deal as a free agent and then you got to actually build a team you got to actually build a roster around those two players you got to you basically got to go the uh, magic and pippin route uh, not the magic the jordan and pippin route and build a championship around two superstars instead of three or four you know, you know what I mean? Right, and I think that's still not going to negatively affect players because no. the money that you've been able to make with the expansion of the television rights and now the expansion of advertisers going on to the jerseys, players are still going to get their payday. Yeah. Kelly Olynyk got paid yeah, this Yeah, because right now in a, in a league of 30 teams, they're marketing their superstars on what, really, like three teams? Right. That If you make it so that it's one max contract per team, you can market the superstar on about half the teams in the league and you can identify that's their team. Like, out in, out in Portland, that's Damian Lillard's team. What does that really mean right now when he's in the AC in the Western Conference and you got Golden State up there with Durant, Curry, Thompson, Green? Right. Like, what's that one guy going to do? Nothing. So, it, it's, <laughs> if, you, if you force right. him, like, if anything, it makes it even more marketable because you can legitimately market uh, to one superstar per team 
who in a in a league that's probably going to see more parity in terms of production in terms of actual wins across the board. Right. No, it's the face for each team. Each guy, each team has a guy. And like, it feels like it's such a simple thing to do, but they're not going to ever do it in a million years. It's the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's jump back a bit. You were talking about Ainge and the moves that he had made uh, in the offseason. Uh, let, let's just do a quick recap. I'm just going to read them. Uh, and we're going to react to, first off, the draft on its own, and then we're going to go to the all the subsequent roster moves beyond that. Uh, they Since our last episode, they traded the number one pick. They got the number one pick. First time in franchise history, they got the number one pick. And then they traded it away. They traded to move down to number three and got uh, – Gave it to the 76ers, who in return gave them a L.A. Lakers pick that they possess from a f- previous trade. Clippers. No, uh, Lakers. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the Celtics have a Clippers pick from a trade they made in next year's first round, too. So next year, they could potentially have... L.A., the hot sports market with no first round picks. So next year, they could they have the Brooklyn pick, which could potentially be a number one overall pick or a top five pick. They have the L.A. Lakers clip, uh, pick via the 76ers which is top which is 2 to 5 protected so if it doesn't land between 2 and 5 then what the Celtics get is a Sacramento Kings pick from another previous uh, Sixers trade the following year and that's completely unprotected Uh, except for no not completely unprotected it's protected only for the number one overall pick so if it's anything but the number one overall pick they get it Um, and then uh, they also have next, so they have the Nets pick next year, which could potentially be the number one overall pick. They have the Lakers picks next year, next year, which could land in the top five, two to five. They get it, and then they also have the Clippers pick from, uh, I believe it was the Doc Rivers trade, where they traded their coach <laughs> years ago. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know why they set it so far out for that return, but it, I it Ainge was thinking like you mentioned, like the five to six year plan. Well, he circled 2020 on the calendar. And yeah, put a well, well, here he is, 2019, 2018. Give me the, give me a number one pick for Doc Rivers. 2019, we might win a championship by then. Said, uh, said the Clippers. Oh, sure, <laughs> <laughs> that worked. Yeah, that really worked out for them. And then uh, they'll also have the uh, their own pick. What a hell of a first round next year. They have four first round picks. Two of them potentially in the top five. Another one that's probably going to be in the teens. And then wherever the hell they end up, which we know is going to be high in the East because the East sucks. So <laughs> even if you get a good depth guy at 20. Yeah. And then the number three pick that they traded down to this year uh, with it, they took Jason Tatum uh, from Duke. I believe Duke. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah. I, I, I know nothing. I don't really pay attention to the draft. We're picks. not college basketball people. We're not draft pick people by no. any stretch of the imagination. No, but I, I'm, I, I'm a big believer in character. And in the first five seconds of his interview, immediately after being drafted, I knew I liked the kid. I knew I knew I liked his character. If I, and uh, I I trusted what they said in uh his uh like the analysis of his of his uh play in college, like all the basketball uh, prospects and stuff. I I'll trust them because they know way more than I do. They said he knows how to score and score in multiple ways, but he needs the rest of his game to work on. Defense comes from effort. You can learn defense. Like, uh, conditioning, you can train and get more conditioned. Right, I was going to say, you'd have to fill into an NBA body anyway, so yeah. you're not going to come with that. Yeah, NBA-level finishing ability in multiple different ways and just an innate ability to score, that's talent. You, you're pretty much born with it. You can only develop it to a certain point, pretty much, especially in basketball. And so, 
that I like. And then off the field character from everything he's doing with the first thought that he was, uh, he had one being asked about, uh, making it to the NBA. He said, this is a dream come true. And then he immediately turned and thanked his, his, uh, family in particular, his mom, like a single mother, uh, had him when he was young, pushed her, uh, herself through college, through law school, got a law degree. And then they said, uh, what, what are you planning to do with the, uh, with that NBA money to help kind of pay your mom back? He said, I'm not looking to pay my mom back. She's got put herself in a good spot. I want to help other single mothers who weren't able to get themselves into a good spot. I'm starting a charity first thing to help uh, raise money for single mothers. That right there is a guy who knows just in general how to contribute to society and how to ge- be a genuine good person. I have zero issue with anything he does now because off the fe- off the court, if he can carry himself just as a contribute like a general contributor to society and a great one. Like, what is there to be mad about? Well, I want to backtrack because I was one of those people who was real, real mad when they traded the first overall pick. You're in a position where, again, you can be threatening with the opportunity to make big offseason contributor, like big offseason splashes with free agents. So to me, I was sitting there, you could have really stacked the cards in your favor. Uh, But since then, so they picked Tatum. Since then, since seeing him in summer league, I've liked him, and I think he compliments a lot more with what they're doing. But in the moment when they did trade it, I was pretty upset. I think they had, at the time, missed an opportunity. The return they got was pretty good. I think Tatum's going to work out better. But my immediate reaction was, you had the first overall pick, something you had been good. You've never, like, why blow that opportunity? But you still draft in the top three in a class that's not exactly striking, is what I'll call it. Of, yeah. of basically, they, they, it it's was like, pretty equitable from the yeah, top w- three five. Yeah, it was viewed as Markel Fultz and then everybody else. And apparently, in their workouts, they weren't sold on Markel Fultz. And then plus, they didn't. They're already loaded in the backcourt, so they wanted small forward help. So. Right, and with the way that they then described just a lot of the experiences with the workouts with him and interacting with Fultz, it was just sort of like, this is the way that it fell out. But it probably went for the better. I would much rather them trade down to take the guy that they want and feel like they have a connection with and who they feel will fit and be a key contributor going forward than pick the number one guy off the board and then ship him in a year or two. Yeah. And so ultimately, not really many complaints from that. Uh, I'm not going to focus on anything other than the top five pick because what else is there worth discussing in the NBA? Like, they're going to be off the bench and maybe contribute and we'll be able to tell when they're actually in the NBA. Right. Until then, they're probably going to be in Maine, locked uh, up there with the Red Claws. So, <laughs> as you make your little snappy claw hands. Claws. Lobster claw hands. <laughs> uh, now uh, that we move past the draft, I'm just going to kind of read off all of the uh, roster moves that Ainge has made since then via free agency and trades. Uh, he signed Gordon Hayward on the 4th of July, no less. That was a very interesting day. We were having our cookout, and then all of a sudden we see that they signed Gordon Hayward in the ESPN update, and then you see their agent backtracking, backtracking, backtracking. And then the... <laughs> Players Tribune piece comes out and it's like oh they had a deal signed with the Player Tribune piece and he had a 2100 page article just in his back pocket just ready to go <laughs> and I was going to say 900 words gushing about how great Brad Stevens is but he wasn't really quite sure on the market oh yeah he had uh, I don't know oh yeah it was a little wishy-washy it took a lot of <laughs> twist in his arm for sure yeah. and uh, after years and years and off seasons of uh, the Celtics ownership in various interviews saying that Danny's looking for uh, is looking for uh, fireworks, looking to make fireworks in the offseason, fireworks in the offseason. They finally make fireworks, and it's on the 4th of July. Oh, what sweet 
poetic. Hashtag <laughs> Angels America. <laughs> what a sweet poetic justice that was. Uh, but there was a lot of fallout from that move uh, because he had, based on the contract they gave him, they had to clear some cap space to be able to fit his salary under the cap. Basically reshuffle the deck. Yeah, reshuffle the deck. So the big names that were out there in terms of who they were going to be trading probably to free that cap space was Avery Bradley, Jake Crowder, Marcus Smart. They then traded Avery Bradley to Detroit to open up that ca- that cap space. Uh, and apparently a lot of it is because Jake Crowder and Marcus Smart are both on the contract for at least a couple more seasons each. And they view them as very valuable pieces off the bench. Of those three players... Avery Bradley was hands down the best player. He's my fa- he was my favorite Celtic. In mourning the day he was traded, I wore my Avery Bradley she- t-shirt jersey. He bought the Avery Bradley shirt before Game Seven against the Wizards and was so excited, and then wore it the rest of the day. And people were like, "You know he's uh he's going." It's like yes, there was this was intentional. I yeah, miss I, him already. Yeah, I was intentionally wearing it. <laughs> but as as much as I can hate that he's gone, I can also completely understand it from a financial standpoint and not be mad at Ainge or mad at the team or hate the move, because. It's his last year. He's getting paid. He's on a bargain of a deal. So he's looking to get paid on his next contract. And with the way money's flying around this league, he's going to get 20 mil easy. There was no way per year. If Kelly Olenek gets 50, yeah. there's no yeah. way. So from a financial standpoint, I completely understand it. I commend it. <laughs> commend Ainge for being able to look at it from a from like a, a le- honestly a, a less standpoint. emotional standpoint. Right. And he's been here. He's the only player who's been here since when uh, Pierce and Garnett and everybody was here and that trade was made. He was drafted uh, in the 2010, the year they went back and they lost to the Lakers in the finals. He was drafted that year. He spent the whole year in, in Maine. And then the next year he was up, a player off the bench, a defensive player off the bench who was developing his offensive game. He turned himself into a legitimate number two, uh, uh, like two shooting guard who, who provides really good on-ball defense and can score in multiple ways. He developed himself into a legitimate starting player in the, in the NBA. Which, uh, watching that progression through like all this transition, and he stayed here and he was loyal and he signed a deal in the middle of that transition for short mo- for uh, money way less than what he was worth per year on an a- average annual value. Everything about the guy, he wanted to be here, but they just weren't going to physically be able to keep him beyond this year, especially with that uh, when they're going to sign Isaiah to a bird rights. Uh, right, and Crowder's contract deal. and yeah. So in return for Bradley to. Uh, in that Detroit deal, they got Marcus Morris. All I know about him is he's the twin brother of Markeith Morris, who we saw a lot of in the Wizards series. If he's anything as dangerous as Markeith, I'm into it. Yeah, and... <laughs> as unhelpful as that might sound. Hey, all I know is they play the same position. They're big bodies, and apparently they got they get into a lot of fights in the offseason, in general, as, as twins. And we saw how physical Markeith Morris was in that seven-game series with the Wizards. I'm going to love to watch those matchups this year. That's all I'll, I'll say. I'll wait to s- reserve my overall judgment on him as a player for after the fact. Uh, uh, to also clear up the cap space for Gordon Hayward, they revoked their uh, qualifying offer to Kelly Olenek, who then went and signed, as you mentioned, for $50 million to the Miami Heat. Feel free, Kelly. Thank you for that game seven and the game of your life, but then for completely disappearing in the Cleveland series. Honestly, no. Shout out to him. He went and he made bank. Good for you, Kelly. Yeah, uh, they have let uh, Amir Johnson went to Philadelphia. Uh, they're pr- I'm pretty sure they released Jonas Drekbo, uh Green they didn't re-sign, uh, and other uh, minor roster players like Jordan Mickey and everything. They've, uh, they have let go. And uh, so, it, and then as another free agent signing, 
also from Detroit as a free agent. They signed uh, veteran Aaron Baines to be kind of rebounding and toughness off the bench. It was him and Marcus Morris in, in their front court last year. And if anything, Detroit's strength last year was their front court. It was those two and Andre Drummond. And th- that's, pr- that's pretty much their strength. Uh, and so they just got stronger in the front court, which was the Celtics' weakness. Uh, in terms, of, more in terms of the rebounding and less in terms of overall, like uh, ability of playing there. Uh, and then they, in a NBA comeback, they signed from a European league Shane Larkin, who's looking to come back into the NBA. A lot of people are saying that he's going to be the definite backup point guard to Isaiah Thomas. And if Isaiah Thomas's hip turns out to be worse than it actually is, uh, then this is kind of a contingency plan to. Uh, make sure that at least you have someone who's had NBA experience to be in the starting role for a legitimate amount of time until you can come back. So overall, your grade for off-season transactions? Love everything about them. That's not, that's <laughs> not a letter grade. Uh, I'm not big on the letter grades. You're no fun. I would still give them. I'll say B+. Plus. I was going to say B-. minus. I think there was a lot of the rumor with they were on the verge with Paul George, and then that was a big opportunity. See, I didn't want Paul George. I more talent can't hurt. Yeah, uh, more talent can't hurt, but it does when you uh, expend assets for a guy who's going to go to the Lakers in this season. So that's that's where we stand on that. But yep. overall, really, really quickly, Kyrie Irving requesting the trade out of Cleveland, basically saying that he is tired of living in the shadow of LeBron, and LeBron pissed that uh, not because he asked for the trade, but because uh, his agent made it public as to the reason why he was asking for a trade, and LeBron didn't want to get brought into it into the public court of opinion because he doesn't want to ma- be made look like he's a selfish, whiny... Uh, people are, but I think he <laughs> revels in being the bad guy. After the decision, he understood where people were with him. I think that's not the biggest thing. I just think he just wants to be left out of it. He l- Let Kyrie be at Kyrie. Do, you do you. All like, I know is if Kyrie leaves and he goes to the... And they're probably going to trade him to the West, if anything. Oh, yeah. I would if, get them the hell if, out of the if East. If Kyrie leaves, and then they've been wanting to trade Kevin Love since the like first month after they, they traded to get him from Minnesota, and they saw what it looked like with him and Kyrie and him being third fiddle instead of the number one guy like he was in Minnesota, then that's probably the next domino to fall. And then LeBron, they already know, is probably going to be going to the Lakers one, uh, at the end of his contract next offseason. So Cleveland's going to fall faster than we ever possibly imagined, which is very good news for the Celtics, who are already like inching towards them anyway. Right. But they're just going to get there, and they're going to get their ass kicked by Golden State. That's more competition in the West. So if Love and Irving both go out West, LeBron goes to L.A., okay, congratulations, you now have six good teams and in Paul the West. Paul George was traded to Oklahoma. Right. So literally, the East is get, just getting weaker by the day, while the Celtics get stronger. So it's congratulations, you're king of the trash heap. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> so it's still it's vast improvements. It's going to be fun basketball for them. But come June, you're going to be sitting there and you're going to be oh my goodness. Hey, I'm I'm excited to watch the young guys develop. I want to see Jalen Brown in his second year. I want oh, to see Jason Tatum going in something to be fabulous. other than the summer league. I want <laughs> like I want to watch all of this progression, and then I want to see Gordon Hayward back in Brad Stevens' system, but with Isaiah Thomas, who's going to now be able to do what he does best, drive to the hoop, but dish it to people who can actually make the shots for once. So Not Kelly the clinic? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be Gordon Hayward who can actually sh- hit shots with a consistency from beyond the arc. So this team's going to be fun to watch this year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They have been the last couple of years, but they're going to be even more fun to watch, if anything. I just think, and we're going to paint it with a negative brush to close, they're still not going to win it. It's... They still have a lot against them let's in the wait, West. Let's wait like three to five years. In the next three to five years, they will win a title at least. Regardless, it's going to be fun to watch in the interim for okay. sure.
Thank you for listening, everybody. And uh, we will go to hockey in our next uh, Getting Caught Up edition of the of the yeah, House Divided podcast. Not so, Monday Morning Director. Not Monday Morning Director. That's my <laughs> that's my movie uh, blog and my movie uh, podcast, everybody. Uh, thank you for listening to House Divided podcast. And be on the lookout for that Hockey Caught Up podcast. Thank you. Thanks.